those who are new to this concept, zero-click content is a phrase I coined to describe the way that the savviest creators, creators of any kind, right? Creators, mm -hmm, marketers, mm -hmm. entertainers, um, the way that the savviest creators have already been creating and publishing content, which is mm -hmm. to provide standalone value mm -hmm. in a piece of content that's native to any platform for mm -hmm. which clicking to leave the platform and learn more is mm -hmm. only additive to the understanding, not required. Welcome everybody. This is uh, Sharath, your host. Uh, this I have a special guest today, uh, Amanda Natividad. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sharath. Absolutely. So I've prepared like some set of questions and topics I want to cover. Yeah, let's get into it. I think uh, right off the bat, I want to ask your 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 bio is a little fascinating to me. You're a journalist, then turned into a kitchen cook, then turned into a marketing leader. So let's start with that story. Like how, how the transition happened from being a journalist to a kitchen cook and then where you are at Spark Toro uh, and being like one of the, uh, one of the Jedis of marketing. <laughs> That's so kind. Well, I mean, for, you know, uh, I guess, for most of my like young, young life or young adult life, I really wanted to be a journalist. Like I thought I was meant to be a journalist, maybe breaking news and technology or something. So I worked at some of the original tech blogs like paidcontent.org and gigaom.com. But, you know, several years in, I sort of felt myself plateauing and I realized I don't think I'm meant to do this. Like, right. I, you know, like I, I love my coworkers. I have so much admiration and respect for them. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pretty good at my job. Not amazing. Like, I think I'm pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. I know what I, it I takes. Like, I like your <laughs> self-awareness there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I think it's fair to call it like, I, I know I'm pretty good, but not, not amazing. Right. But I kind of knew what I needed to do to get to the next level. Mm. But there was the big part of me that didn't want to do it because that part of me was like, I don't think you want to do this job. So, mm. you know, in true quarter life crisis fashion, I decided I need to be a, I'm going to be a food writer. Like I already know how to write. I know that I like to write. I right. really love food. So now I'm going to go to culinary school and learn how to cook properly so that right. I can be taken seriously as a food writer. Um, but in that path, you know, I went to Le Cordon Bleu, um, mm -hmm. graduated near the top of my class, and then set out to be a food writer, but realized I didn't do any research in this. Uh, <laughs> there were only like eight food writing jobs available or that well, exist. They're right. all taken by culinary legends who are not going right. to retire. So I was like, right. oh, I need to do something else. Uh, what do I do? And this was how I got into content marketing, right? So mm. this was a stage of content marketing where the savviest content marketers were learning, oh, it isn't just about SEO. Like, mm. yeah, yeah, you need that. And that's important. That's part right. of it. But the most interesting content marketers or blogs were ones that took a point of view or that did mm. original research that were sort mm. of these standalone authorities of their own. Um, right. And that was what I was really interested in and thought, well, I've been a journalist. Like I know how mm. to do this theoretically. Um, right. And that mm -hmm. was kind of how I got into content marketing. That's so fascinating to hear. So let's, let's actually jump back two steps, which is uh, you're a writer, you're a journalist and you didn't like it. That's all good. But that's a, such a big pivot going from being into tech to something entirely like quite opposite, which is being a cook. 
how's so it's completely new to new, you as well as a as someone who's exploring like different career opportunities at that point if i'm assuming it right the reason i want to talk to uh, especially about the journey is what was your mindset like you know you're you're entering into a new arena and i feel you've done that with content marketing too as well so when you when you kind of testing your avenues uh, things that you haven't done before what was your thought process like and your mindset like you know uh, yeah. being a beginner that's a great question um i think it was just you know i like i said true quarter life crisis fashion like i was realizing okay now is the best time for me to do something completely unexpected or mm. veer off path entirely like i was i think i was like 24 or 25 um i was old enough to have had some money saved so that i could pursue something unique or different out of the box for like a year or so right right but i was also you know not so far down this path that there was no point of return right where it was a little bit of like hey now is the time like mm. i you know i was like i was single didn't have a kid so i'm like all right i can i can for about a year i can do this whole work mm. during the day go to night school rinse right. and repeat every weekday and that's how it was you know i would work albeit from home right i was working from home 9 to 5 would knock off from work mm -hmm. put on my chef uniform go to school and i would be in culinary school from like 6 p.m. to about 11 p.m. every night um uh, every weeknight and then come back home at midnight go to sleep do it all again Um, wow. I could never do that today. You know, I'm much yeah. older today. I have a child. <laughs> like that's not going to happen today. But right. I I was aware enough to know I can only do this now. Like mm. this is the kind of my last opportunity. Just go out, be weird, take a year to experiment. Right. If nothing else, like you have a college degree, you have some money saved, you'll figure it out. So a right. little but there has to be some level of self-trust, right? To yeah. to know like I can handle this. <laughs> Yeah, I I I really like that answer uh, for many reasons. One primarily is that you should believe in yourself fundamentally. You know, whatever you do, it can be anything. I think it starts from you within you, and it passes to your family, your friends who support you like unconditionally and whatnot, right? And the other thing I want to also acknowledge is that your kind of your self awareness is so on point that. You're, you're you're basically dealing cards with your reality you're not like dreaming or like doing something very risky right and i feel a lot of people miss that one point this is a thin line between chasing your dreams and chasing your dreams keeping your feet on the ground as well so yeah completely I, I, agree yeah it, it wasn't like i th i said i'm going to go win a james beard award for my right my food writing <laughs> like this is going to happen like that wasn't right. the dream right it was I want to do this thing. Mm. I think it's within my reach. But if it's not, there are so many other paths that I can go down. Like it, it is it isn't actually that risky. Right. Yeah, I I love that. Uh so that's that's quite fascinating. You went from, you know, journalist, cook and then content marketing. Uh let's talk about like marketing and one of the things that that I think a lot about uh you know, these days in 2022 in in the day and age we live in design marketing and a lot of things has been commoditized in in a way right like every freaking founder knows all these terms and how to do things 
especially take 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 design like every product i see at least are on the highest standard like 30 40 years ago it's just apple and a bunch of other very niche companies who actually prefer design and prioritize it like same way marketing uh with drift being like you know categorizing conversational marketing and so on and so forth so in your opinion uh it's becoming a crowded market right in a way everybody's doing marketing everybody's expressing their own things using email or content or whatever the thing they want to pick how do you you see founders should differentiate themselves especially their their either they they can be their own startups or take creators as an example as well like how 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 do you uh suggest or advise to differentiate themselves from in this crowded market yeah i would say differentiate yourself by doubling down on the intersection of what you're best at and what you care about hmm. like there isn't any one right answer right i mean i think right. um for one at sparktoro something we care very deeply about is our customers and our community hmm. i wouldn't say that we do community marketing because we don't right. we don't have an actual community that right. like we don't have a place that our users fans customers mm-hmm. frequent that we know mm-hmm. once we or keep tabs however we have a community mindset to everything that we do in that mm-hmm. we have a deep love and respect for our customers so right. everything we do with our with our product like new features new product mm-hmm. iterations it's all in service to making a better user experience mm-hmm. and then for things like our our monthly webinar series or office hour series right. they're all for like we we think what do our customers want to hear from us what can we help them with here's this thing we have a, that we have a point of view on let's create mm-hmm. this presentation that will help our customers um plan for 2023 or will mm. help them create better audience personas like things that we we very much focus on that that's kind of that's one way of looking at our differentiator not every founder needs to think this way right and maybe mm-hmm. a founder mm-hmm. has a very different kind of service or right. different kind of um different kind of software where that wouldn't be the right approach for them. So I would encourage people to really think about what are you best at and what mm-hmm. do you care most about and double down on that. That's such a such a great answer, you know, what you're best at can be anything. You can it can be writing, it can be podcasting, it can be like, you know, delivering un, unbeatable customer service and what you really care about is your customers, your audience or the product you build. I think blending those two uh makes a great formula and that that is one one of the things I feel uh, a lot of uh founders miss being authentic to themselves and they chase like these you know weird weird ass like results which are nowhere near to them right like like you said about winning that award when you're just getting started <laughs> so I, I I love that and uh what are some new things are you are you observing in in these days as as marketing i i want to touch about the zero click content which is which one of your famous blogs i read like you know bookmarked as well but uh what are the trends that you're observing in recent days given in the world of tiktoks like the small video formats and like shorts and what not how how are you how are you feeling right now hmm so i think we are <clears throat> Sorry. I think we are well, I mean today, right? November 16th. Today, <laughs> things are changing very very yeah. quickly on social media, especially Twitter right now. Right. So today, 
I think a lot of people are thinking about, well, what do I do if Twitter doesn't exist? Mm. I think that's a big thing on people's minds. By the time you publish this podcast, I don't know where we'll be with Twitter because that's how right. fast things are moving and how yep. fast things are breaking on Twitter, where that's I think absolutely. a lot of people are really having to confront, oh my gosh, I've spent all my time building my audience on Twitter. I don't mm -hmm. know that I've focused enough on LinkedIn or Instagram or TikTok right. or whatever else I should be because that's where my audience is. Right. I think people are confronting that and they're worried about that. So the next place that I think people are thinking about is their email list. Because mm. the other thing that a lot of, I think, especially seasoned marketers will say is when it comes down to it, what you want to have is direct access to your prospects, to your audience. Right. Right. You, their inboxes. Right. So right. I think you're, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of people kind of scramble, um, to create newsletters or mm. figure out like, I got to figure out some kind of email capture situation. So I think that's what right. we're going to see. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to see, um, and regardless, maybe, maybe that won't come true. Right. I think right. regardless of that, I think we're going to see people realize they really have to differentiate across platforms. Like people who are going, you know what? I got to be on Instagram. I got to go to, I got to go mm -hmm. hard on reels or mm. I got to go hard on TikTok, or I need to repurpose all my content for LinkedIn. So depending right. on, you know, where your audience is, what you're good at, what your needs are, I think we're going to see a lot of creators, brands, marketers, um, figure out where to go next. I like that. And that's one of the things I kind of juggle a lot, which is after Elon taking Twitter, I'm like, you know what, we're screwed. You know, we, we don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, I feel in that uncertainty and it's, it's so platform dependent. Uh, the follow-up to that, that thought process you had was uh, one of the questions, you know, is how do you kind of, uh, kind of manage that, that level of uh, expectations, right? Like the level of uh, you've built an audience, like you have like hundred plus K Twitter audience, which, you know, I want to cover that later, but, and all of a sudden Twitter closed. So you have to make a move. You build newsletter. I think the direct to direct uh, reach is what a lot of people are trying, but it's still, you're building on Substack or you're mm -hmm. building on another email marketing platform. So what do you think is, uh, is the, not an ideal way, but is like the immediate way where people can reach out to their audience directly, like not being a platform dependent solution, but any other, any other, uh, interesting, uh, ideas you have might be like a product, for example, which hasn't been in the development. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think that the other platforms and historical tactics are, they work. Right. Like when you say product, my mind goes to, huh, can you create um, a product for which there's mm -hmm. a lot of search demand so that people will find it online organically mm -hmm. and purchase it or download it or, you know, or use it, right? Whatever the product is. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. That's one way, right? Like kind of goes yeah. back to the old school, like that yeah. got to go back to SEO. That's not a mm -hmm. bad idea. Um, mm -hmm. I think focusing on, I do think it's really, you know, I, I've always said before, like, get really good at one channel, one platform, mm -hmm. get really good at it, and then scale to the next. Like, don't mm. try to do all these things at once. I right. still believe in that. Because I do think, like, mastery of one channel 
will help you excel at the rest. Mm. Because if you're, if you're like trying to do LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all at the same time, starting from scratch at the same time, I don't think that's going to be very successful. Mm. I think figuring out the underlying principles of a given platform and then applying your learnings and iterating onto new platforms is the way to go. But I do mm. think it's important to figure out, okay, focus on one, but how can you diversify and scale quickly? Mm. Right? Like, so it's not so much like, hey, be on LinkedIn for five years before you move on to the next. It's <laughs> right. maybe like focus on it for like six to nine months before mm. you move on to something else. Like maybe it's maybe it's more of that where like, yeah, there's a longer time frame on it, but it's still pretty finite. So I think about right. that. So that so that when push comes to shove, and if Twitter were to, were to disappear, mm -hmm. if my 100k plus followers were to disappear, I can go to LinkedIn and go well. I have, I have over 20,000 followers there. Right. That's right. not a bad place to start from. Absolutely. Um, so that's how I would think about that. I like that. I, I think it's, it's, yeah, I, I was, I'm actually in the same bucket as well, uh, which is I'll knock Twitter out, then I'll move to the other platform. What you said is absolutely true. And I just kind of realized it and I started posting some of the content I'm creating on LinkedIn as well these days and getting some some good responses. Uh, people are reacting to the content I'm producing there as well. I feel that's a, that's a smart way of doing things, which is you don't you don't drown yourself in one platform and completely rely and put it put every bet you have uh, on the arts of you know that survival and you know all of a sudden one day it collapses and you have to like start from zero. I I, I really like that. Uh, speaking about Twitter, let's talk about uh, your growth. You know. Uh, 200k plus, I think 111, I guess, uh, to be very precise. And how did you end up having, you know, again, that six figure audience, number one, number two is, what was your intention behind building, building, a, building an audience base, like a true fan base, whatever that, you know, a lot of many people call? Yeah, so I think, hmm. So I think, where, where, where was I? Two years ago. Two years ago, it was 2020. I had, I think, fewer than, I think I had like 700 or 800 followers. Hmm. Um, I'd had a Twitter account since 2008. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, and yeah, like it, everybody else. <laughs> like everybody else. Right? I just had it. Like, you don't really tweet. Yeah. Like, I was a lurker for, what, 10, 11 years on Twitter, right. occasionally posting without any kind of strategy. But it wasn't until two years ago when I was working at an SEO agency called Growth Machine, where mm -hmm. I was running marketing and so thus looking to increase leads, pipeline, drive revenue. Then I had more of a purpose mm. of like a purpose for like, why should I have an editorial strategy for Twitter? So that was the right. first thing. So figuring out like, okay, what do I do here? Uh, how do I find organic ways to better distribute my content? Mm -hmm. So through Twitter. Um, and so what I did was I focused on the niche of content marketing, content marketing. And well, I, I'm going to say organic marketing because I also mm. covered growth marketing, but mm -hmm. from the lens of or, organic growth, not mm. so much of paid acquisition or ads. Yeah, paid marketing that just or, isn't yeah. my world. Yeah. Right. It just isn't. So focused on what I could write there. But what I did was kind of intuitively is I, I write about things that I know well, like things that I have mm tested multiple times, things that I can speak to firsthand experience about, mm -hmm. because that's just my style. Like I, it, I just, mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable reading a couple of case studies that other people right. have written and then speaking to that on an expert level, largely right. because 
working on the inside of tech, like I used to work at, I worked at a couple startups. I worked at Fitbit for many years. Mm-hmm. I know how all of this stuff works on the inside. It does not work <laughs> like the way all of these external case studies work. You know, when right. people do these teardowns of like, here's how Masterclass did it. That is absolutely not right. how Masterclass mastered right. SEO. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, and I happen to know those things. So I'm reluctant to approach this stuff from that perspective. Right. I, I better speak to things that I have tested firsthand. So that was how yeah. I write it about, how I, how I write it, how I wrote about yeah. my content, right? How I wrote about marketing. And it took off. Like, you know, this was, I think was relatively early in the sense of fewer people were writing threads back then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so less competition yeah, and more people course. noticed my content and, and, my, right. and by extension, my work and myself. Um, right. So that was kind of how I grew the following. Um, I think the underlying principles probably still apply, like mm-hmm. focusing on novelty, freshness, firsthand experience, what you're good at. Um, and I, th- I think that's it'll still work today. I just don't know how quickly it'll work today. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was, maybe I'll pause there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I have like a specific question there. So I, if you observe, right, like 2020 due to pandemic and everything, pretty much everybody's on on any social media platform, right? Like that's how a lot of, a lot many people actually kind of grew their audiences. You know, they took advantage of that, what's happening. Uh, And right now you just said like, there is less competition back then. Now there's more competition. You know, everybody's writing threads. Everybody's want, everybody wants to build an audience. Uh, The problem I have with that is very less people have intention on why they're doing it. Most of the people have, no clue. Someone else is building, writing threads. Let me actually write threads too. And there, the, the, there is a craving for the follower count and whatnot, which we don't want. I don't want to touch about. But mm-hmm. I want to. I want to talk about those who are intentionally, you know, building audience. And given it's again <laughs> a crowded market, what what principles you still think uh, apply till today? Like apart from what you said, novelty and being the best at what you do. Apart from those, what what are your what are your strategies? Like, if you come back to like zero, like how you did back in 2020, you have that editorial strategy for Twitter. What would you do, like in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think I would do probably the same stuff, like focusing on novelty, firsthand experience. I think focusing on firsthand experience is really important, and I think is an especially mm-hmm. key differentiator today because when you look at the things like blah, blah, blah. Here's how Jeff Bezos did this thing. Blah, blah, mm. blah. Warren Buffett's shareholder letter thing. Right. You can, I am sure you have seen this millions of times. Yeah. Right. People I'm, I'm vexed. Can you even remember who wrote them? No. No. Right. Maybe no. like a, a flood of like avatars flash to your mind, but you maybe you might not remember like who said what. You're like, oh yeah, like all these dudes said this thing. Um, no, that's and, one thing. Yeah. The, the, the other beef I have with that, sorry to stop you there is, I don't even remember what Jeff Persis did. <laughs> right. Same. Right. Like what did that letter to shareholders say? Something, something day one. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't ha- I the other thing is I don't really like digest that and immediately implement in my own life. That's the, that's the beauty of first hand experience is that you as a, anybody like creator, marketer, startup founder, or a sauce maker, or a, or an artist or whatever it is, you build something, you did something, you learned, you failed, you succeeded. Mm-hmm. Then you shared that experience 
that can help a specific niche who's yeah. again falls into your identity i feel that first hand yeah. experience is way 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 more valuable and important than like analyzing here are like 100 examples of how to do email marketing like i've never implemented so many of those lessons but it gets it is a click kind of like a clickbait thing if you if you if you see yeah. right like lot now it's flooded with 10 tips 10 that 10 frameworks and who most 99% they haven't implemented in their life but they've kind of learned from somewhere or something yeah. and copied uh, didn't mean to stop you there but yeah continue yeah. yeah oh yeah no no i appreciate it um yeah i mean and that's the thing with first hand experiences like if you're writing for something that you know well you've studied or like not even studied but like that you've tested and like gone through failed or succeeded you know the other thing is you can't be wrong You know, because you're talking about here's how I did this thing. Nobody can right. step in and go, "That's not true," right? They, they would say, "Like, okay, maybe you should have done this thing differently." Sure, mm. that's fine. Yeah. But the thing with talking about firsthand stuff is you can't be wrong because only mm. you know yourself. And yep. two, that's how people get to know you. Like, that's how they get to. That's how they know you, understand you, how you think, and that's right. sort of how you. develop fandom right like right. like that's why people care about you and like that's right. why they go like i really like what shirat has to say about this like i mean mm. i'm going to listen to him more or like i want to keep up with this stuff because only he shared this thing about underdogs right like mm. those are the things that i think and even if even if a path to growth or follower growth is slower it's more sustainable and it's right. something that is more defensible i would say like right. If I were to do some like Twitter thread on oh my gosh, Apple's copywriting tips, <laughs> right. whatever. Again, could have been anyone who said right. that. To right. like it's that it, it says nothing about my work or my Correct. point of view. So there's right. no so if I were to grow my follower account from that, that benefits me in no way. Right? right? That's just like it's just clout. Right? right? It's just cool vanity metric of more followers. Right. Pure clout. Right, but right. if I were to say, here are the copyright mistakes I made. Mm. Like, here are the things that I did that cost my that cost my company money, or that cost me, right. you know, subscribers. And right. here are these mistakes so that you don't make them too. Right. You know, whether or not I'm sure that like that's going to get fewer views or fewer mm. impressions, mm. but the people who do engage with it are going to say, hey, I admire this person. for taking right. a stake and like admitting their failures and right. actually this advice was helpful to me in my situation i i can't stress uh how how important it is what you said in the last few minutes it's so freaking important to share and being vulnerable on on these platforms like social media any twitter or anything because i feel your intention will reflect in every single post unlike your research, whatever the the, the let's like say like 10 10 amazing copywriting tips from apple you've ne- you've never worked for, never worked for apple number one yeah. or you've never written written like copy pasted that format and actually battle tested them and then made a thread no so that is so important i feel like i i i can't stress i think we should be very loud about people sharing their personal experiences their mistakes and that's why building in public I, i don't know if you know that that phenomenon is so freaking important i've lived breathed 
And my, my own side project, side startup uh, called Shoutout, uh, I did like that from zero, day zero. When I got the idea, I, that idea was there. And uh, so gratefully, today uh, it got acquired by by uh, a buyer, a product studio based out of UK. And every single stage, I kind of like put myself out vulnerably. Even mm-hmm. the, the acquisition, I said like, I'm in the dilemma of like selling Shoutout or not. I got like so many people getting in my replies and shared like their own experiences. Like, hey, hey dude, don't worry. You're not alone. Let's do this, do that. Or like, you know, what are the alternative paths you can pick? And that's that feels that, to that point I want to make is that community is greater than cloud. Mm-hmm. Communities where like you 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 kind of know them on a name to be name basis at least, and they're the ones who care about you the way you care about them. Cloud is just you know like how you said about a bunch of vanity uh, metrics. Like who cares about? I think that there is a the quality versus quantity is is what I feel is missing on the. On, on Twitter, especially. Anyway, I'm not going yeah. to rant much no, about that's okay. it. But... Congratulations on your acquisition. Oh. That's, that's that's incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was it was it was it was. Uh, I think in 2020 October, I kind of manifested that I will sell a maker product. By by then, I was just building some side projects, and it came to life. Like today's like the last payment was. You know, we received that uh, as we speak and. Uh, but yeah, I'm so grateful, and I think that's that's another thing which you said. You you kind of have to try these things and put it out, so that you will only end up having like limited amount of people who really care about what you do. I think I think that's enough. You don't need like bigger bigger audiences to do like you know miracle things, right? Uh, anyway, the, the, I, I just want to like reiterate like what Amanda said. Definitely do share your firsthand experience. Share what you're learning primarily and what you're kind of doing, even it, it can be the success stories, the highlights or lowlights as well, right? The lowlights are very important than highlights in my opinion. So I, I love, uh, I think, I think that's why you're, you're one of my favorite people on Twitter, uh, because you, you put that intention out in every tweet and you were very authentic. <laughs> A couple of days ago, I saw you changing your, your name to uh, blue check, verify or something and yeah, I'm, I'm official a blue user. Blue check. <laughs> <laughs> I feel those are the things I really appreciate compared to like, you know, 10 things what 10 companies did like those type of posts. So, uh, that's why I love about your content. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about spark, spark Toro. You know, you're, you're, you're a 1 million ARR business and quite fascinatingly, you're only three people, you know, you're not like, big ass teams, right? Tell me about how did you end up working with uh, Rand Fishkin and the things you do at SparkToro and what are the things, and I really like the underdog mindset you have. Uh, you still kind of do things that don't scale and tell me more about, you know, your experience there. Yeah. So how did I get, so, okay, this is where the Twitter stuff comes into play. So mm. I'm, you know, so I've been publishing my marketing thoughts on Twitter for several months right. and lo and behold, Rand Fish can follow me back. I was mortified. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, he's actually seeing this. And nice. I was like, kind of embarrassed because, you know, with someone like he's, he's one of my marketing heroes. Like, right. of course, like, of course Legends. I was excited, but I was also just 
kind of embarrassed because I was like, did I say anything that was like a little bit cringe or like, oh no. <laughs> and I think I didn't tweet for like three days because I was so really? self-conscious. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but here is the, the good thing. And I think this is going to be helpful to people. Mm-hmm. It did kind of shift how I tweeted because it made me more comfortable veering off the path of marketing where I had doubled down. And I'm only going to write about organic marketing, mm-hmm. maybe an occasional life observation, only if I think it's funny, um, only marketing stuff. But once Rand followed me back, my mindset shifted because I thought, well, okay, Rand knows marketing very well. <laughs> He's a marketing <laughs> executive CEO. Right. But he followed me for a reason. And he didn't follow me because he wants marketing 101. He followed me because he wanted to see my perspective of marketing. Mm. So mm-hmm. yes, I'm going to keep tweeting about marketing and my experiences. And this is where the firsthand experience stuff comes into play, especially mm-hmm. in a more in in a renewed light, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this person cares about my experiences. This right. person does not care about me mining the internet for right, right. Apple copywriting tips. He cares right. about how I approach co- copywriting. And right. then it also became like, well, how can I kind of bring my whole self to Twitter? And then, mm. I, then I became more comfortable writing about food because of my food background. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I love food and I love sharing my recipes. And right. it's fun for me to share recipes in like ingredients and how to's in one tweet. Like, how can I do right. that? And that, that yeah. was sort of a fun creative exercise. Right. And that was kind of how we became friends. Like mm. then he got to know me through Twitter and then he and his wife were um, in my hometown, like visiting some oh. friends and they invited me for lunch. And of course I had to drop everything I was doing. Of course. And right. I met them for lunch. And from there, that was basically how I got to Spark Toro because we commiserated over tech life, you know, early stage startups, marketing hacks. And Mm. along the way, I kind of pitched him on my dream job at SparkToro. And from there, we continued discussions and figured out a way to make it work. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I feel authenticity is something you can't really hide. And people who are authentic can only recognize authentic people. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) the game recognizes the game, right? Like I've had, I've had so many experiences, like how you mentioned in my, in my world, I feel for you, how, you know, Rand is like, you know, your true hero. My, my hero is like still is Ryan Hoover, who is, who built product from ground up. And the same thing happened, like, you know, uh, but so you said something very interesting, uh, which is you got very comfortable, right? What do you mean by that? Let's, let's actually kind of, uh, we will get into the spark toro the entire how things work internally but i want to i want to uh, highlight that point because a lot many people on twitter right now are very uncomfortable but they are still doing things because like i said you know their their monkey minds saying like hey follow their monkey because they're building something or building their audience or creating content so mm-hmm. when you say comfortable what do you mean by that yeah, that's a good question. Um, by comfortable, I mean, so one, still the firsthand experience stuff, the thing, when I, mean, I say it, like, you can't be wrong, that's one. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you're talking about things you experienced, you can't be wrong, that's one. And then two, if you have like pure intentions, then you have nothing to worry about. If you have pure intentions mm-hmm. and you're writing from firsthand experience, you're not hiding anything right. and there's nothing to worry about. 
therefore you should be comfortable. Right. Mm. So that's, that's a big part of it. Like for pure intentions, I will say that, you know, I think it was, yeah, it was like when, like January, February, 2021, I think Mm -hmm. it was February, 2021 that Rand had followed me back. And at that point I was tweeting in large part to never have to do a traditional job hunt again. Mm, and so that's nice. tweeting through that lens, it was, okay, write about firsthand experiences in work, in marketing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. be myself. Like, how am I at an office? Like, mm. it's not like I'm super stuffy corporate worker. Right. Um, I'm a pretty casual person, but I'm also a professional person. So like, right. how can I, how can that shine through in my, in my writing, in my writing style? Um, right. and from there, it, it was pretty easy to be authentic, right. And, and comfortable mm. because when you think about like, well, how do you conduct yourself at work? I imagine you're not like, I'm so nervous. Like, don't right. talk to anybody. <laughs> maybe if you're like super young or new, you know, right. maybe, but in general, like, I think, you'd be pretty comfortable with who you are. You're just, just be yourself at work. Um, Mm. that was kind of how I I approached it. And maybe even just taking that heuristic, like be who you be your friendliest self at work Mm. on Twitter. And maybe a nuance here is I actually do encourage people to think about Twitter as a vehicle or social media, right? Top of funnel Mm -hmm. social media to think about it as an extension of your resume. Hmm. And I say that in a very empowering way. What I'm right. not saying is I'm not saying only talk about work, only right. talk about like being a corporate worker. No. no. How would yeah. you conduct yourself at the office? At right. the office, you wouldn't only talk about work. Right. You might ask your coworkers if they watched a certain game or yeah. a movie. Like that's movie, normal yeah. to do it at the office. Right. So I right. say like, right. yeah, treat it like a resume in right. which case, you're bringing your whole, your whole self, you're being professional, mm-hmm. you're being friendly, and you're being respectful to others. Like I think yeah. that those are things that we all try to do at work. So why should you not treat social media any different? Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, spot on. I love I love your answer. I just to add a couple points there, and I, I have like so many questions, my God, you know, <laughs> so many thoughts. Uh I treat Twitter as a a personal journal, which is actually open to public where people can actually read my thoughts. And what you said is absolutely true. It's not like confined to uh, like work, work and Hey, you've built a project, share that. That's it. Like there is, I think it should be boundaryless. You know, you share again at the same time, don't share, of course, controversial shit, which I am against your political things. Like, you know, be very mindful, be very positive, be very kind, be very curious, and ultimately be very authentic and present yourself and express yourself in a way that, hey, I got this thought, got this curious question. That's why one thing I really love and shout out to you because you're one of your recipes. I'm a vegetarian and I think I commented on your recipes, which I shared to my wife and she's, she loved it. Like she's, and we make that like quite often for dinner, uh, Some something about like, you know, noodles or spaghetti or something. But I think the point I want to make is you, one, once you kind of, like you said, put your intentions out, there is nothing to afraid. You're already naked. Like how Steve Jobs said, right. You're already, you know, stripped down. There's nothing to like cover up and doing that will make you even more empowering and share the things you're exploring, you're learning, you're 
you're failing at or winning at, right? I, I, I think that's what uh, I see personally missing on Twitter. It used to be like that, like back in 2020-ish, the early days of this whole wave, many used to come forward to share their authentic experiences. Now it's it's a shit show. My feed is like, it's only about five different things, five different habits, five different that, five different things. I'm like, you know what? Shut it down. So I love, <laughs> I love, I love the, the the story behind you meeting Ran, you converting your, and the other point I want to also touch is, I really love the, the what you said about make Twitter as your extended resume. In a way, it's kind of your proof of work, right? Like the things it open up opportunities. That's why I'm on Twitter, even though there's a lot of shit going on. Actually, the reason I want I wanted to get connected with you is because of Twitter, right? That's if if that was not there, this conversation wouldn't happen. So there are some abundant opportunities, cold DMs, reaching out to people. There is like one-on-one access that Twitter enables, which is what people should focus on and try to like, you know, blend, make it more authentic, like you said. So I absolutely I think hopefully people can get some very amazing lessons from this convo and like, you know, implement in their life. That's, that's the intention behind this whole podcast is like empower at least one person, right? Uh, let's go back to like SparkToro. So you, 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 you said like in, in one of, one of the emails with me is that you're still very unconventional. You're, you don't do paid marketing. You're very, you focus on organic marketing, beat content, and you're only three. How the fuck are you managing? Like, how in the hell three people can manage such a big business, handling customers, handling audience? You do like bunch of other things. What's what's the what's the secret formula right there? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, one truly hats off to Casey, our co-founder and CTO. He's incredible. Like, I think what he has built is fantastic. Mm. It's and a lot of it is very self-sustaining. Mm. Um, like one thing he did that as a marketer, I especially appreciate is he built our internal, well, he built our product email marketing system. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like all of our onboarding emails come from the platform that he made. Mm-hmm. But this platform also talks to our email service provider, our, our mm. MailChimp for our, our marketing mm-hmm. emails. And so... This is going to sound boring for maybe a lot of people listening, but for marketers oh. or people who manage email lists, it's, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You, yeah. you know how whenever you unsubscribe from like a crappy like B two C email, it's always like it it'll time. take yeah. seven days for your yeah. changes to take effect. Like, why does it take seven days? It's because in a lot of these like legacy platforms, like Crate and Barrel and whatnot, mm-hmm. they're using all these old systems that are stitched together, mm. and it takes a while for these systems to talk to each other. What Casey right. has built it talks to our MailChimp immediately. So whatever mm. changes you make on your, on your unsubscribe or your email settings, it actually takes effect immediately. So like that's mm. one thing that's a huge value add because it saves us a lot of heartache and time mm. in waiting through email muckiness. So that's, right. that's like one small things of many that Casey has done. Um, and also Rand and Casey have been amazing at building a lot of customer support materials. This is before mm-hmm. I joined. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a lot of existing resources that we point customers to. Mm. And since I have joined, 
what I have done is I've created like a master, like Google doc. It's just a Google doc of frequently, <laughs> of frequently asked questions, questions and our responses right. to them. And I usually refer to that whenever we, we answer customer support questions. Mm. And we, we, the three of us, we are the ones who answer all the customer support questions. And it's just to a point where now, like a lot of the questions are pretty, you know, pretty predict, not predictable, but like, I usually have some kind of repeat need where we're like, great, we know how to address this pretty quickly. So a lot of these things have really built up healthily over time. Mm. So we're kind of well positioned for a lot of this stuff. I love that. I love that. I didn't mean to stop you there, but yeah, uh, you've mentioned specifically. So these are all, I think, pretty much unconventional things. Like not many uh, startups or founders know that the things you do and, you know, putting out content repeatedly again, helping them educate with predefined demos or like the things of certain features or certain bugs you expect them to come to you, which you already solved through content. I feel I, I love those uh unconventional methods of handling things but uh curious to 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 the follow up that question is that uh how do you acquire customers you're only three like what what kind of uh do things that don't scale ways you do to basically attract you know customers towards sparkdoro yeah so a lot of so a lot of people do find our product through through the free tools that we offer so we offer a fake follower audit for Twitter where you can mm. audit any Twitter account, including your own, to see how many fake followers there are. And we mm. do have definitions for what fake means, like right, could be a right. bot, an active right. account. There's criteria. It, it is fuller, there's fuller context there. Right. So that's a, that's a thing that people search for very frequently that they mm. use. And that's kind of their first way to get to know SparkToro and what we do. Mm. Um, we also have something called Spark Score, which mm-hmm. helps you better understand a given Twitter account's overall engagement or kind of influence, so to speak. So it gives you some better insights into like, you know, rather than focusing on Twitter accounts that have a hundred thousand followers, maybe you're better off. And usually you are, most people are better off finding a Twitter account that has like 10,000 followers Mm. and that has a high engagement. And like, that's maybe a person to pitch to get to know whatever. Um, So we have that. We also have a trending topic. Mm. I think I think it's on on, on Twitter what, what people in marketing are talking about. So right. we have some of these tools um, that get some great search. People find it, find our product. Yes. We also do a lot of top of funnel marketing. So mm. um, Rand and I speak on a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. We present at a lot of webinars, um, mm. speak at virtual events, physical events. Right. Um, I think we probably we probably each do at least two to four per week. So that's just wow. a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I think we should get Rand on this podcast too. I'm just manifesting it. <laughs> yeah. I think he would love that. <laughs> love that. Uh, so how do you, how do you maintain, you know, it, it's very, that the thing that fascinates me is that I've worked at product hunt before and it's such a small team. And I also worked at company like companies like on deck. And I, I came from a corporate world uh, most of my early life before entering into startups where I worked for Walgreens as a product manager. Mm. And having so many people in a team actually kind of gives you certain reassurance. Like, okay, we're not like 
kind of like helps you uh, if i have a problem i go reach out to this person or mm-hmm. this person this etc etc and when i went from like 60000 employees like a company like walgreens to startups like product hunt i'm like whoa this product is still like 30 or so people you know employees oh, wow. very small yeah, yeah it's very small very tight and that's one of the fascinating things i learned from ryan build small teams who work efficiently together and how in the hell three people manage such a big <laughs> business i'm still like kind of so how do you keep that spirit going that mentality I, of like yeah. you know okay we 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 can still make it or self doubt or like you know the things that you get like as as human beings right at the end of the day we're all human beings so what are some meta things that you do as a team of three hmm. internally well, we- to keep your spirit alive, alive? One is we are each very self-motivated um, mm. and we have a lot of autonomy over the things that we do. So, I mean, Rand and Casey are co-founders, so obviously mm-hmm. they have autonomy. I'm the yeah. only employee, but yeah. for things, all the things that I do, I have full ownership of. Like mm. like our, new, our audience research newsletter, for instance, it has over 60,000 subscribers now. Wow. So it's a very, it's a big mar- marketing email. Um, mm-hmm. It's the thing that I, I own. I mean, I, I send an email test and I ask for their feedback if they have any, but they also, there's a big part of them that doesn't care in the sense that they're like, yeah, yeah, we trust you, like go for it. Um, so there's a lot of trust and autonomy there. Um, that's a big piece. I mm. think the other one is we, we very much value each other as people, like as friends. and human mm. beings you know so if like if and we're also all very um considerate of each other i think these are all just kind of natural qualities that make right. us that happen to make us work well together like nobody told mm. me like hey amanda we're empathetic here you should be that way too it mm. was just how we all are naturally and by naturally right. i mean things like um for instance you know ran travels quite a bit when he's mm-hmm. traveling then Casey and I know just kind of instinctively like, oh, well, Rand's traveling. So we're going to be more, we're going to be faster to respond to customer support emails mm. just because we know that he's out. And Correct. there's no expectation. Like Rand would never say like, hey, you, right. Amanda, you better do this thing. It's right. just, we kind of instinctively feel like, oh, like he's out. Like we're going to pick up the slack a little bit more. Right. And same way for me. Like if, I, if I'm out sick, I'm like, guys, like I'm super sick. Can't, can't log in today. They're like, yeah, no worries. Like right. whatever you're working on, like do it when you get back, we got it. So right. there's a lot of, I guess it's just like, there's a lot of autonomy, trust and a lot of genuine love for each other. Mm. I like that so much. I think uh, high efficiency with the qualities I'm saying, high efficiency, uh, highly empathetic, like to each other and uh, a lot of trust that, yeah. you know, it, 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 it ends up like, great teams have great t- trust right and yeah I-, i think that's what people should focus when you hire the next person like find that trustworthy uh who do you call like doppelganger of yours so that yeah you you can rely on them in leaving whatever you do so i love that couple yeah, I, i have like i do wait i, I do want to uh, add on yeah. to what you said about high efficiency because that was great because i also want to point that out as you know being a lean team of three 
in some ways it helps us move faster, right? Because there mm. are fewer checks and balances. Like right. when I'm writing yep. the newsletter, I know that I can just write and edit it and send it out. Right. And a, a couple of times if I'm down to the wire, I have, I did not share it with Brandon Casey first. I'm like, sorry guys, I'm just going to send this out. But yeah. in a larger org, that would never happen. It would be right. like, of course. so and so is going to write it. Like, yeah, it would be like the freelancer is going to write this thing. Content right. marketing is going to edit it. Demand right. generation is going to approve it and set it up mm. in the, queue it up in the email platform. Like, and, and the whole thing takes like a week and a half. Yeah. Like for me, it's like, for me, the, the, all the, all the time is spent in writing it. Like it takes me like maybe it's a short email, but it takes me like two hours to write. Mm. And then scheduling it takes me like 30 seconds. <laughs> I love that. I think yeah. in a way you're, what you're saying is permissionless execution. Like, you know, yeah. just, you better ask for forgiveness later than ask for permission, right? You just do it and fail and like, Hey, I burned my hands. You know, what, what can yeah. you do now? So I totally, I, and it's knowing what you can fail at, right? Like I can fail at like maybe a crappy email, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, ideally that wouldn't happen. Of course, yeah, of course. but yeah. I would never launch a brand new thing without mm. Randon Casey, right? I would never be like, Hey guys, suddenly we have a video series. <laughs> like, what? It would, yeah. it's all, it's all like existing stuff. Yeah. Right. I love that. Love that. Uh, I do have like three more questions. Uh, uh, so one, one thing I want to talk about is since you live in the, in a space of attention, right? Like attention mm -hmm. is everything. It can be for founders, startups, brands, creators, and it's such an important and rarest thing. You know, uh, everyone's, everything you do is to get other people's attention. So what are some tips you, you can give for the listeners who, who are in the business of grabbing other people's attention? Um, being very strategic about it, like doing the audience research of understanding what your audience is thinking about, what they're talking mm. about, or maybe it's more, it's more this, it's more understanding what your audience is talking about so that you can get a sense of what they're actually thinking about and then swooping in there to kind mm. of figure out where you come in to like the narrative that's in their minds. That's mm. being super strategic about how you grab attention because you don't grab attention by, or you shouldn't by walking right. into a room and saying, Hey everyone, look at me. It's right. you grab attention by saying the thing that's on everybody's minds hmm. that nobody had thought, thought of to say first. So, I mean, it's hard to do obviously, of course, yeah. but it's understanding your audience that well, understanding what they're talking about. And you could do this by understanding like the podcast they listen to. Mm -hmm. Right. The social accounts they follow, the conversations that they're watching or listening to. And mm -hmm. then from there, figuring out what they're thinking about next so that you can swoop in and say that thing. Mm, I love that. Uh, that's so that's so that's I never heard such a such a impactful answer, you know, with attention. So I love that. I think I have to like, you know, again, I'm trying to building my own audience with podcasts and Twitter and whatnot. I have to like focus on certain topics which you mentioned. Uh, so let's talk about your 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 incredibly famous blog, Zero Click Content. You know, I've read it. I think it's uh, it has some incredible insights. Uh, you know how to how to actually build content without links and kind of like you know like again going back to attention, like talk what people want and so that they can consume and like kind of like fulfill themselves and continue 
digesting your content more and more uh tell me more about uh more about it for for the, for people who are listening for the first time about zero yeah. click content number one number two is it, it you've posted this in july Mm-hmm. So like you know a few months back anything you want to add to that blog any recent observations that you might like you know enhance uh to it yeah well i guess i would say that you know for those who are new to this concept zero click content is a phrase i coined to describe the way that the savviest creators creators of any kind right creators mm-hmm, marketers mm-hmm. entertainers um the way that the savviest creators have already been creating and publishing content which is right. to provide standalone value mm-hmm. in a piece of content that's native to any platform for mm-hmm. which clicking to leave the platform and learn more is mm-hmm. only additive to the understanding not required mm-hmm. and the funny thing is that as i as this has kind of gained traction on twitter and linkedin mm-hmm. um a couple of people have complained like but i had to click to read your thread. I had to click to right. read the LinkedIn carousel where I'm, right. where I would say, I, I only call this out in the sense of there's a lot of, there are, there's a lot of this, a lot of what I'm seeing is a oversimplified pushback. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, you're wrong because I had to click my next button when it's, you're not seeing the nuance of it, which is the idea of clicking to leave the platform. And mm. so if you get bogged down in the small details, you're going to miss the forest for the trees, right? It's right. like, read the thing, then mm-hmm. have your opinion. <laughs> um, and that's where I think also where the savviest creators are going to be more successful is people mm-hmm. who are able to see the nuance and understand how to create the standalone value on any given platform at any given time, because it's hard to do, right? Like mm. there are some repeatable frameworks for it. But ultimately, like, there are countless, I think, ways right. of creating zero-click content. It could be giving away the juiciest part of an interview right. and pointing people to the long-form version. It could right. be, if you have a listicle, right. summarizing or going into detail on one list item. Mm-hmm. It could be summarizing the list. Right? There are a number of ways you can do it. And I think um, the, I think the most creative people are uncovering new ways to do this. Right. Love that. Yeah. You know, I will, I will add the, the zero content, uh, zero click content blog post in the so- show notes, but I absolutely love that. Uh, it's such a, such a fascinating concept of like, you know, in doing, uh, producing content number one and kind of distributing content in a way, right? Like, uh, those two things are really, really what, you know, Amanda's, uh, covered in the blog. One, one thing I forgot to ask, <laughs> I just found the notes and like, you know, remember. So someone actually tweeted in, in, in last month saying, what's the scrappiest piece of marketing you have you've ever done? You know, and oh my God. So there, there are like so many incredible do things that don't scale hacks in the, in the post. And I find your comment very interesting. You, you talked about a healthy Senac subscription. Do you want to talk about that story? Like how you grabbed over a thousand new customers by putting an opportunity for gamers and hackers. I just want to hear the whole thought process and how the story, you know, came to life and, you know, what happened next. 
Yeah. So I think this is kind of an, an old story that I've never really gotten to tell on a podcast that I think the underlying principles still apply. So mm-hmm. this was when I was working at a direct-to-consumer snack company called NatureBox. Um, I was running content for them and de facto head of PR. Mm-hmm. And a lot of – because, you know, we were an early-stage startup, a lot of us were, you know, kind of we, – we were focused on hyper-growth, right? Mm-hmm. That, that was the goal. And everything that we had to do in marketing or everything we did in marketing had to tie to revenue or customer growth in some way. And PR was no exception. And mm-hmm. it was very challenging, right? as you can imagine, because traditionally in PR, um, you measure success by way of like uh, impressions or share of voice, how often people talk about your brand, right? right. Or the positive sentiment. And right. those were things I looked at too. But what, we, but what we needed was to figure out how to drive organic growth through it. So more mm-hmm. like digital PR. And this was sort of an exercise in cold pitching, uh, mm-hmm. positioning, PR, all that good stuff. And, um, something I realized was, huh, like, okay, our, our target audience is anybody who is willing to eat snacks. So literally mm-hmm. anybody. <laughs> but I started to think about like, okay, well, who would benefit from a snack subscription? Mm. Like who, like who is a potential audience that is right. thinking, I want these things delivered to my door. I don't want to think about it. And right. so the hypothesis that I had, a strong hypothesis I had was gamers, right? Because mm. they're like sitting in yeah. front of their computer or TV for hours at a time. Maybe it's not that they want to eat unhealthy. It's that eating healthier, it takes more time and more of it's right. more of a cognitive of load. And it's yeah. not a priority, you put, right? You have to put effort like to make yeah. a healthy snack. Yeah. It's easier to get a bag of chips or order a pizza. It's, it just is. <laughs> but with these, our snack subscription, it was like healthier snacks, right. but the same principle. They could go to, they go directly to your door. And so that was kind of how I positioned it and started to think about, well, who are the publications that mm. are likely to kind of enable this behavior? And the first one I thought of was life hacker, life hacks. Mm. Perfect. Right. But people who right. are looking to improve their lives by hacking their way through it, they don't want right. to overthink things. They just want to be easier. Right. What better way than, you know, nature box, right? Right. And so that was where I pitched them on the healthy snack subscription, said it was easily delivered to your door, like you mm. can set it and forget it if you want, or you can choose your snacks. Each bag has like four servings, so it's a decent amount that you would get. Um, and they wrote about us. They ended up doing wow. a review with us versus a competitor, which I did not ask them to do. That was right. kind of them thinking, we're not going to just feature you. Yeah. Like we're going to make this beneficial to our audience. Right. And we ended up getting, and of course I had made sure I sent them our best snacks, like the right. ones that were tastiest, <laughs> that looked yeah. fullest in their, in their right. packaging. We're like, okay, this looks like a lot. <laughs> sent that. And then they gave us like, they were honest in their, in their feedback. I don't think they loved everything I sent maybe, but mm. they gave us high marks as like, if we de- that we delivered on the value that we provided. I love then, that story. Yeah. And from there we saw like, I think we saw, well, we saw hundreds of signups or new customers through that. And then mm. that uncovered a new opportunity with Kotaku, the gaming publication. Nice. Um, okay. That was when I was like, wait, gamers would also love this. Mm. And so pitch them. They also did a review and over like a couple of months or yeah, I think it was like maybe three months. We mm-hmm. saw over 1,600 new customers just through wow. these two placements. 
That's that's amazing. I I I love it so much because it's so smart. Like you kind of went from everybody eats snack to who is the most uh most immediate identity who can like who can get get benefit of a healthy snack. Like that's a very niche down approach of going from like you know this huge market, right? That's so amazing. I, I kind of like want to share my my uh, my my set of a story which i did for shoutout so shoutout is a platform where you can build a wall of love uh obviously based on twitter shoutouts very quickly in less than three minutes mm-hmm. uh so it, this was like initially in 2021 we just launched people are just discovering so the thing i did was a similar way uh, i believe every landing page should have a wall of love but mm-hmm. at the same time you know it's really hard to like get adoption immediately so I, what i did was i asked people like hey founders what have you shipped in the past or what are you working i will personally give a testimonial to you so that you can add that positive testimonial on your wall which is positive testimonials are way way important than fake testimonials right and coming from a, a real person is actually even more trustworthy so I did like a couple of experiments like that and we saw like huge amounts of signups like instantly because everybody wants to try I gave value first and then they kind of used the same shout out in their in their wall so by using the platform itself so I think I really like the story and kind of brought back my memories of like being very scrappy and kind of you know uh, hustling yeah. around uh building adoption i love that i love that so much thanks for sharing i and uh i feel people should rely again on the authenticity piece like what can they do best for for others right uh so i have like a last question uh you're you're a mom you know you're you're a, you're a mom to a toddler and uh, i'm a, i'm a i'm a dad as well i have like a 15 16 month old uh oh my god naughty son he's super oh. active uh how do you balance being a mom and being a startup operator and a creator you have a course on maven.com and you do like tweets threads what's your day to day look like and how do you balance time being very mindful oh gosh i don't know that i balance it that's one <laughs> <laughs> some days are just really really busy like Right. I mean I I feel like we're kind of in this age where it's controversial to say that you work hard. Like people aren't allowed to say that anymore, but mm. I work really hard. Like mm. it doesn't it, I'm not like killing myself every day, but right. you know, maybe days leading up to a big project or a launch, like the days leading up to Spark Together our Sparktoro's virtual summit last yeah, week. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was working on stuff till like late at night because sometimes right. sometimes that's what it takes when you have a big project ahead of you. Right. So I will say some days I'm I'm just working longer than I than maybe the average person might. Right. Um but also it helps to have some non-negotiables in all areas of life. Um right. one realization for me and I don't know if it will resonate but it will resonate with parents is mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so last week we got a notification about Thanksgiving potluck at my son's mm. school. And okay. so they asked us to bring a a dish um right. from our, our from our culture mm-hmm. and to like, you know, bring it and we're all invited to the potluck, which is so right. cute and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And 
of course, one, my food background, and also because right, yeah. I don't care, I'm going to make something. Of course, of I'm going to make something. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to just go to the store and buy yeah. buy food. No, I have to make it. And right. I want to make it. And so what became non-negotiable for me was, this is my son's school thing. Mm-hmm. This is a priority. Like, mm. it's absolutely not negotiable. I am right. going to make lumpia, Filipino mm. egg rolls. Mm-hmm. Gonna wow. make it. I'm gonna fry them fresh and bring them to school so everyone can enjoy it. So that's like one thing that has become that's non-negotiable for me this week, wow. and that will mean that I have to go to the store, have to make the egg rolls, got to fry them, mm. and something else is gonna has has got to give this week. Where it's like, right. well, I'm not gonna do this other thing, and it might right. just be like I'm not gonna create something new, mm. and that's okay that's because okay. I yeah. have this thing that's non-negotiable that's important to me. I, I think that that's the balance people should find. Like mm-hmm. you're not missing out because you have a priority, <laughs> right? That's, that's yeah. the whole definition of priority because you, you have to like address that. I love that so much. And, you know, same thing, you know, I struggle. Sometimes it's really hard, like in a massive, massive shout out to parents, especially who are in, in startups, right? It's such a competitive world. And you have to hustle or else you're, you're, you're basically dead. You, if you're not building momentum as a creator, you're dead. Nobody remembers that, right? Nobody remembers your content and whatnot. So you have to be, you have to show up every single day and being a parent, it is sometimes really hard. And I think, you know, you just lose some, you win some, I feel, uh, don't lose your time with your kids. You know, that's the most important thing you can lose freaking creating content or like opportunity that's fine it will pop up again right uh and i, I love that so yeah i know I, i'm we're, we're slightly ahead of time but yeah. i have like I have the last segment which i call rapid fire five where i ask like five questions yeah you know speak to your mind and you know so first thing uh you're a cook so what's your favorite cooking recipe that you want to share Ooh. My favorite one is I love making these garlic noodles topped with oh, that's topped amazing. steak. That's my favorite. Love that. Yeah, we, we, if you can, like you know, let me know. We'll we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Uh, what's one marketing book you want to recommend for young marketers or you know founders who are just in, getting into the game who wants to learn about like end to end? Ooh, marketing specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. It's a great book on marketing positioning. And it's also pretty short. She made it very economical and efficient. And it's it's the gold standard now in product marketing and positioning. Awesome. Yep. Uh, If you want to give a shout out to a Twitter account, who would that be? Uh, Oh, my gosh. I don't know. (laughs) (sighs) I, I'm completely blanking. Um, you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you. Yeah, I had to say you. Oh, thank you. That's <laughs> uh, okay. You, you've talked in a great detail about snacks, so I must, I must know what's your favorite <laughs> healthy snack and what's your non-favorite non-healthy snack. Okay, I appreciate this question. My favorite healthy snack is pink lady apples sliced up and dunked in peanut butter oh okay that's yeah. yummy that sounds really yummy 
What about yeah. the non non healthy one? Flame and hot fries, a Cheeto <laughs> snack. <laughs> that's that that's. I, it feels like it's it's sitting on your top of your mind. You're like, okay. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's delicious. Awesome. So, last question. So, what's your favorite pastime as a mom? Oh, my favorite pastime is. Oh gosh, it's it's baking with my son. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. You know, see, listen, man. I I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm, you know, and. I love you more now for being after talking to you because you're very authentic, you're true to yourself, and you kind of live uh, by certain principles, which I kind of admire as well. And I kind of have a similar list. And uh, this has been such a blast, and I really, really appreciate you for taking time. And last thing, do you wanna like say some anything people want? Where where should they find you? What's something you're working on? Uh, you know, at Sparkler or like in general. And I want to give a shout out to like your content marketing 201 course, which is coming uh, in, I think, a few months now. Yeah. So yeah, all, all yours. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, best place to find me and what I'm doing is my personal website, amandanet.com. I also have my newsletter sign up there. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then to learn more about SparkToro, I'd say check us out at sparktoro.com. And consider subscribing to our audience research newsletter. It sends out twice a month and only if we have something interesting to say. Awesome. And last thing, yeah, definitely go, definitely do check it out. Content Marketing 201. I think you, you have a waiting list up on maven.com. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. And that's a, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining, yeah. Amanda. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Sharath. This was so much fun. Absolutely. All right. See you, folks, uh, for the next episode.